BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. It is uh, Thanksgiving week, uh, a very consequential holiday in some ways. It's it's interesting how the um, the whole uh, we had this wonderful dinner with the Indians and then we killed them all narrative. You know, I mean, Columbus Day, we talk about that a lot. Right. But not so much on Thanksgiving. And, and frankly, I think that, you know, there's nothing wrong with bringing it up from time to time. But uh, one of the things that I'm real happy about for Thanksgiving is that uh, we're back in Portland and uh, all three of our kids live here. And Louise's mom and brother both live here. And it's just great being with family and, you know, without having to travel to be with family. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Uh, you know, what you're grateful for, feel free to let us know. The, uh, one of the things I'm not grateful for is what the Republicans are doing with regard to the tax bill. And Forbes, of all publications, Forbes uh, published a, a piece by a contributor, Forbes, Forbes contributor. It's obviously his opinion, not Forbes's, but still Stan Collender. Uh, just give you a couple of quotes from it. The, the, the headline, of course, is GOP tax bill is the end of all economic sanity in Washington. Uh, this was published uh, yesterday at uh, 7 a.m. In, in Forbes magazine. Uh, he's, he says, Stan says, Stan's calendar says, if it's enacted, the GOP tax cut now working its way through Congress will be the start of a decades-long economic policy disaster unlike any that has ever occurred in American history. Now, I absolutely agree. And I want to share with you in just a second what Bruce Bartlett, who was the, the economic go-to guy for both, Donald, for both Ronald Reagan and for George Herbert Walker Bush, during both the Reagan administration and the, and the first Bush administration, Bruce Bartlett was you know, one of their principal economic advisors. And he's saying essentially the same thing that this column in Forbes is saying this morning, which is that this Republican tax cut bill is going to crash the economy. But there's a caveat, there's a but associated with it in Bruce Bartlett's world. And I'll get to that in just a second. But but back to this piece in today's Forbes, uh, Stan Colander goes on to say, there's no economic justification whatsoever for a tax cut at this time. 
The U.S. gross domestic product is growing. Unemployment is close to 4% below what is considered commonly full employment. Corporate profits are at record levels and stock markets are soaring. It makes no sense to add any federal government-induced stimulus at all to this private sector-caused economic activity, let alone a tax cut as big as this one. And then he goes on to say the GOP's insanity is compounded by its moving ahead without having any idea of what this policy will actually do to the economy. Now, see, this, au contraire, the Republicans know exactly what this is going to do to the economy, and this is part of an anti-democratic, big D democratic, as in anti-democratic party, strategy that the Republicans are pursuing. Now, it may not seem that way right now. You may say, oh, geez, the Republicans, they're giving these giant tax breaks to billionaires, The average person who earns $50,000 or less is going to see their taxes go up and go up substantially over the next 15, 10, 10, 15 years. But Republicans know that. I'll get to that in just a second. They say, so the, the piece in Forbes wraps up. In other words, the Republican tax bill may be enacted without anyone who votes for it having any understanding of the damage it could do to our economy. They have hopes, wishes, and prayers, but in reality, nothing beyond the economic equivalent of pagan superstition. No, they know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly why they're doing it. And they have done this before. This is, this is not a brand new game. And this is where Bruce Bartlett has this brilliant piece in uh, the Guardian today. It's titled Republican tax cuts will hurt Americans and Democrats will pay the price. And what Bruce Bartlett lays out, he he doesn't mention uh, the two Santa Claus theory at all. But the whole, the whole shtick here is the two Santa Claus theory. And you'll recall the old two Santa Claus theory, uh, the Jude Wininsky proposed back in the 1970s, as I recall, it was 78 or 79, because Re- Reagan was the first president to adopt it. And the two Santa Claus theory was when Republicans are in power, become Santa Claus, be the Santa Claus of tax cuts, give things away to people and run up the debt. So that when Democrats come into power, you can yell and scream about the debt and force them to shoot their Santa Claus, which is federal spending. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, unemployment insurance, the Children's Health Insurance Program, Obamacare, whatever it may be. These are the these are the Democratic Party's Santa Claus. You know, they're the gifts that they give away. So what you want to do is tie their hands. You want to handcuff the Democrats so that they are forced to pursue a Republican agenda. They are forced to cut spending. They are forced to balance budgets. You know who the last two presidents were to balance budgets? Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton. And they did it in large part because the Republicans had set up a situation where they pretty much had to. Now, Bill Clinton at least got to raise taxes to balance the budget, and it kicked off a huge economic boom. In fact, all the empirical evidence that I can find indicates that when you raise taxes, you stimulate the economy. When you raise taxes on rich people, you stimulate the economy, which is the opposite of what the Republicans are planning to do. And when you raise taxes on working people, which is what the Republican tax plan will do, then you you depress the economy. Michael uh, Linden this morning at Michael S. Linden. Holy moly, new CBO report finds that the sneak attack on health care and the GOP tax bill will hammer households making less than $50,000 a year. Absolutely hammer them. And this is how much 
uh, distribution of changes in federal spending under the proposal, excluding the outlay portion of refundable credits. This is an actual chart from the Congressional Budget Office. And the 2027 number, well, if you make less than $10,000, you are going to be hurt to the tune of $1,900 next year or the year after next, $5,900 in 2021, and $9,700 a year by 2027. So your taxes are continuously going to go up and, and your benefits are going to go down. If you make ten dollars to $20,000 a year, and by 2027, you'll be losing $9,700 a year. If you make twenty dollars to $30,000 a year, you'll only lose $8,700 a year by 2027. If you make $30,000 to $40,000 a year, you'll make you'll only lose $2,900 a year by 2027 under the Republican tax plan. And if you make forty dollars to $50,000 a year, you will only lose $1,180 a year. If you make fifty to $75,000, you make $60. Bucks. If you make $100,000 to $200,000, you make $1,600 and so on. You know? So anyhow, the, 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 the bottom line is that the top end gets helped. So you know, what Bruce Bartlett is saying is that he says, and he says it explicitly. He says, you know, why are Democrats and independents, Democrats and independents can't figure out why Republicans are pushing this insanely unpopular tax bill? I mean, it really is. It's got a popularity rating in the 20 or 30 percent range. Why would they do it? Bartlett says the answer is the Republicans are pushing the tax cut at breakneck speed precisely because they know they are probably going to lose next year and in 2020 as well. The tax cut, once enacted, however, will bind the hands of Democrats for years to come, forcing them to essentially follow a Republican agenda of deficit reduction and prevent any action on a positive Democratic platform or program. The result will be a steady erosion of support for Democrats that will put Republicans back in power within a few election cycles. And I think Bruce Bartlett is absolutely right. This is the whole strategy. He talks about how 30 years ago, two, Sweden econo- two Swedish economists, Thorsten Persson and uh, Lars Svensson, uh, laid out how this works. It was published in the Quarterly Journal of Economics in 1989. And it was about how one conservative legislator can flip, all, can just destroy the plans of all the progressives. Uh, it's because of, of something called time inconsistency. We'll talk about that after the break. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So why is it that, how is it that Republicans can get away with saying, oh, Obama doubled the deficit when Obama had nothing to do with that? It was George W. Bush. I'll tell you all about that. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Tim Ryan, the congressman from Ohio, who is a meditator, by the way, and his constituents know it and like it and approve of it. He's, uh, Tim and I both uh, gave a talk I met him in uh, Los Angeles some years ago at a Marianne Williamson event, and uh, he was talking about meditation, which was really cool. Anyhow, he, uh, he sent out an email to uh, presumably, you know, friends of Tim Ryan's. I've, I'm, I've never contributed to his campaign, but I'm, I, I've been on his list I, apparently since we had uh, dinner together. Anyhow, the Republican tax plan allows corporations, Tim Ryan writes, to deduct the cost of shipping jobs overseas from their taxes literally making it easier and more profitable to move American jobs to places like China. After what Trump promised working people during the campaign in places like Michigan, Wisconsin, and my hometown of Youngstown, Ohio, this tax plan is an insulting joke. And then he quotes Richard Trumka, the president of the AFL-CIO. It is astounding that a tax bill that will encourage offshoring is even under consideration. 
And economist Gene Sperling in, Sperling in The Atlantic, he said the president maintains his proposal would limit offshoring. A major provision of it would do just the opposite. Meanwhile, Nick Kristof, writing in The New York Times, it's so hard to be a billionaire these days. A new yacht can cost $300 million. The investment income on, say, a $4 billion fortune is only a mere $1 million a day. Thank God for this lifeline to struggling tycoons. And it's carefully crafted to focus the benefits on the truly deserving, the affluent who earn their tax breaks with savvy investments in politicians. Eliminating the estate tax, which will help 5,500 Americans, uh, one-fifth of 1% of all Americans who die annually, ending the tax. And it actually doesn't help the people who die. It helps the people who were members of the Lucky Sperm Club, who were born to them. Ending the tax would help upstanding people like the Trumps, who owe their financial success to brilliant life choices, such as picking the uterus in which they were conceived. He says, now it's fair to complain that the tax plan overall doesn't give needy billionaires quite as much as they deserve. For for example, the top 1% receive only a bit more than 25% of the total tax cuts in the Senate bill. Really? Only 25 times their share of the population? After all those dreary $5,000 plate dinners supporting politicians, they could do better than that, right? And he goes on, he's, he's, we, we risk soul-sucking dependency if we always set kids' broken arms. Maybe that's why congressional Republicans haven't bothered to renew funding for CHIP, the child health insurance program serving almost 9 million American children. Ditto for the maternal and home visiting programs that are gold standard for breaking cycles of poverty and also haven't been renewed by Republicans in Congress. We mustn't coddle American toddlers. Congressional Republicans understand we can't do everything for everybody, so we must focus on the most urgent needs, such as those of hand-to-mouth billionaires. Tax code subsidizes moguls with private jets, while the charity interest tax break gives a huge tax discount to striving private equity zillionaires. Meanwhile, a $13 billion annual subsidy for corporate meals and entertainments gives ditch diggers the satisfaction of buying champagne for financiers. Uh, Christoph points out this may have something to do with our having the first Congress with a majority of millionaires in it, the richest Congress we've ever had. So he says, if poor kids have to suffer, might as well make poor seniors suffer as well. That's called a balanced policy. So we're going to cut money out of Medicare as well. Amazing. Susan in Lutz, Lutz, Florida. Hey, Susan, what's on your mind today? Hi, from Lutz. Lutz. Hey, Susan. Lutz. (laughs) That's the way we pronounce it down here anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I've been doing uh, taxes during tax season for many, many years. Sort of a, a little side thing going on there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've done it for small businesses as well as individuals. Believe it or not, I like taxation. Isn't that strange? But at any rate, this is absolutely the... This is so bad, so dangerous, so terrible. I don't even have words for it. So I'm just going to skip the, the description of it. But we really have to understand what's going on. And you've begun now to allude to it. It's really beyond people who don't care about what happens to other people. What it is, is obviously uh, a certain group of people who have gained control of just about everything that goes on. And they're lackeys. That's that's all it is. Um, The rich, the super rich want to get, they want to get more power and be more rich. And those, those, People in places like the Senate, the House of Representatives, are their lackeys because they're not the super rich. Yeah. And if they don't do what the super rich want, 
you know, your, your ordinary congressman, what's he going to do, go back home and be a farmer or Yeah, and what, and, and what Bruce Bartlett is pointing out is that from the Republican point of view, this is a twofer. On the one hand, they get to do exactly what the super rich paid them to do in Congress, which is cut their taxes. Yeah. On the other hand, by cutting the taxes for the super rich, they're forcing future politicians, and this is on the assumption that Republicans are going to start losing elections fairly soon, they're forcing future politicians to cut services even further for average working people, which exactly. will cause them to blame the Democrats. And exactly. so, I mean, this is, this is, this is Jude Winiski's uh, two Santa Claus theory on steroids, Susan. So the, what, the question is, so what do we do? Right. And my thought, as I thought about it, is, first of all, the Republicans have been, uh, excuse me, the Democrats have been wasting, in my, my opinion, wasting a lot of time arguing with the, if you've been watching the hearings, um, with certain arcane rules in the tax code and changing this and changing little gears and widgets and whatever. What I would like to see is the Democrats stand up and start offering amendments that are outrageous, such as passing amendments to have no taxation of ordinary uh, taxpayers uh, that, whose gross incomes are below $90,000 a year. So that basically by the end of this, because they're not winning anything. I mean, they're, the Republicans are giving them absolutely no ground whatsoever. Yeah. So if they at least can make um, a splash, and most people don't even know what the Democrats are even trying to do because it's so kind of minuscule. If they could get up there and make a big enough splash to point out what's really going on and pass, try to pass an amendment, which they won't pass, but they'll really stir up a lot of controversy. Start passing amendments such as start at two hundred fifty thousand. No one who grosses under two fifty will pay any taxes. Oh, that's not good enough. Then go two forty five, two thirty. Yeah, I get it. I get it, Susan. I think it's a great idea. Although I would, I would think that things that are more uh, visible and more discussable. Uh, I as mean, that, well. that's, that's nice, but that's going to make them seem a little, a little cranky. Well. What if they as said well. no company? can get a tax break that does any manufacturing outside the United States. Yeah, stuff like that. Right, exactly. Think I mean, about. very simple, right. very straightforward. No tax breaks for any company yeah. that manufactures goods from outside the United States or no, no tax break for any company that imports goods into the United States for resale, which would be like Walmart, things like that. I, you know, there's... You want to show that uh, the... Uh, the Republicans have got their basic of thinking that, well, maybe we'll get a tax cut. You know, small people. Right. As you said, they're not only getting a cut, they're going to get, they're going to get. Hope. Oh, yeah. And, and, and uh, Susan, I, thank you for the call. Thank, thank you so thank much. You. And thanks for, thanks for watching us on Free Speech. The, the, the essence of this and the conversation that Susan and I were just having, this is about, you know, strategy, right? How do the Democrats do this? And, and so far, the Democrat strategy has been the usual Democratic strategy, which is tell the truth, Right. What is this really? And I, I frankly think instead of that as a strategy, it doesn't work, right? Because uh, you're going up against uh, these, these nonprofit so-called committees uh, that are owned and paid for by billionaires that are running ads on television, lying to average working people, telling them that they're going to get $2,000 in tax breaks if the Republicans pass this legislation, if they're average taxpayers. Now, it's a lie, or, t you know, maybe it's like, you know, falls into the, the old uh, Abe Lincoln or, or Mark Twain or whoever said, you know, lies, damn lies and statistics. Um, it's not accurate, 
but people are believing it because they see it on television and because the billionaires have put millions of dollars into this campaign. Mira in Los Angeles. Hey, Mira, what's up? Hi, Tom. Um, I have a very simple question. Mm-hmm. Um, should the Democrats win and should this bill pass, why are they bound by it? This is a law made by men. Who can, why can't it be broken? It's not God's law. It's not like, you know, I mean, especially if it's meant for making people's lives better, why are they bound by it? Bound by the tax cut? Yeah. I mean, you, I heard you because, because in order to raise taxes, they would have to overcome a filibuster in the Senate. And the, the assumption is that even if Republicans lose control of both the House and the Senate, that they're not going to lose control of the Senate to the tune of 60 votes, that the Democrats are not going to have a filibuster-free or proof Senate like they did uh, during 74 days of the first year of the Obama administration, 74 business days. Um, they're not going to have that. And so as a result, the Republican tax cuts will in all probability stay in place and, and, and the Democrats are going to be stuck try, you know, having, as was the case during the Clinton administration, as was the case to a large extent during the Obama administration, uh, the Democrats are going to be stuck trying, having to make terrible, uh, hard decisions within the context of the spending fr- framework that they have and the tax uh, revenue that they have. And in the midst of all of it, the Republicans are going to be constantly screaming about the debt and the deficit as they did throughout the Obama administration, as they did throughout the Clinton administration, as they did throughout the Carter administration. They never scream about debt and deficits when there's a Republican in the White House. They always do it when it's Democrats. So, so that's why. Let's assume, let's assume in 2020 we have a Democrat as a president. Can't they roll it back? No, no, the president doesn't have the, no, the president doesn't control legislation. Legislation, all appropriation, all spending and all taxes have to be passed by Congress. The president merely signs them. He has no, he can't do that himself. So that's, that's why. Uh, Mira, thank you for the call. We'll be right back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. More of your calls right after this. Everybody's talking about superfoods, those nutritionally dense foods that are especially beneficial to your health. Did you know that one of the most powerful superfoods you can put into your body is beets? They're loaded with an important nutrient that increases your blood flow, which increases your energy. But who wants to eat a pile of beets every day? Not me. But now you can get the energy benefits of beets in a powerful, concentrated superfood drink, Superbeets. Only Superbeets is made from beets grown to exacting standards, then concentrated into superfood crystals. Superbeets promotes the body's own natural ability to produce healthier circulation for increased energy and stamina all day long. So if you want the benefits of a powerful superfood, call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeets.com. With your first order, get another 30-day supply of Superbeets for free, plus indicator strips to see how Superbeets is working for you, and free shipping. So call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com today. That's 800-568-9889, tomsbeats.com on the interwebs. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And on the line with us, Mark Ruffalo, the actor and filmmaker, 
uh, his uh, his website, facebook.com slash Mark Ruffalo. You can tweet him at Mark Ruffalo. Mark, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. Great talking with you. You're you're all over this this issue of uh, Jerry Brown and his legacy, the uh, U.N. Climate Change Conference in Bonn. Uh, uh, last, uh, what was it, a week ago, I guess, last week, um, the, yep. Jerry Brown was, I believe, interrupted by protesters saying, leave it in the ground. What's going on here? Well, um, Jerry Brown right now uh, is, is basically um, a self-described climate hero. Uh, he's, you know, leading California um, into uh, this new era, this new climate um, climate era of uh, leaving it in the ground or, or, or leaving fossil fuels and moving to a renewable energy paradigm. And um, well, at the same time, he has led California to be the third largest oil producer in the nation. Um, now, is that the so, result of policies that he put in place, or is that just the the the, the natural result of of you know, hundred years or or whatever? Let's put it this way. I mean, it, you know, there's a there's a legacy industry in California, and it is seventy years old. Right. Um, and so it's something that's entrenched. Uh, it's po- politically entrenched. It's politically entrenched in the United States. It's, sure. California is the microcosm of what we're seeing happening in the United States and in the world at large. You know, we, we've relied on fossil fuel, and, uh, you know, we should be grateful to fossil fuels. They brought us through the Industrial Revolution, the Technological Revolution, and now they brought us to the day where we can actually leave them behind. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jerry Brown is in a particularly good position right now to actually be the leader of doing that. Um, and what you're seeing happening is his constituents, the constituents of the world, are asking more from our leaders who are calling themselves climate leaders. Mm-hmm. Whether you're Jerry Brown or Angela Merkel, um, we have to start addressing the demand side of climate change, which is pulling this stuff out of the ground. And if we're going to even follow the Paris Agreements, um, as Jerry Brown said he would do, um, it's impossible that he can keep pulling um, so many fossil fuels out of the ground. I mean, California does, is doing, won't even ban hydrofracking and drilling in neighborhoods, you know? Yeah. Last year, we took a group of actors and producers and writers on what we call the toxic tour of Los Angeles, where um, they have... Uh, Lenient, more lenient restrictions on fossil fuel drilling in neighborhoods than they do in Denton, than they do in Denton, Texas. Yeah, I think that was the one and, where, where Norman Lear and I showed up, and, and yeah, and that's where you, I met you, you were there. Yeah, that was uh, it was right around the time of Porter Ranch. Yes, it was. It was right at the time of Porter Ranch. Yeah, and um, and and we interviewed, you know, the Stand LA, which is uh, Stand Against Neighborhood Drilling. Mm-hmm. It's it's this is a justice movement, you know, really at its core. And and what you ha- what you see happening is the people who are on the front lines of fighting this, the indigenous people, people of color, these are the people who are directly in harm's way right now. And so they're asking more from our leaders. You know, what we see happening throughout the world right now is is a sort of a we're denying the status quo, whether you're talking about sexual predation 
um, misogyny, sexism, or you're talking about um, fossil fuels and fighting climate change. We have to move past the status quo. And leaders like Jerry Brown are on the front line of the status quo. It is We are going after these types of people because they are the leaders that are most likely to make the change that needs to happen. Right, but this-, this Jerry Brown, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, it's fine. I, 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 in fact, finish your thought and I'll, I'll come back to that. Jerry Brown's in a really good position. He, he has the environmental record. He is putting himself out there, you know. We do have to have a little bit of sympathy for the guy who gets up at Bond and he's, and he's shouted down by people saying, you got to keep it in the ground, dude. You can't be a climate leader. Well, at the same time, being the third largest contributor to climate change in the United States. Um, And he's in a great position to do it because he's no longer, he's no longer, he's no longer at the throes or at the, at the, the pleasure of the fossil fuel industry in California. He can actually start to draw this down. Because this is his last year in in political office, you mean? Yeah, this yeah. is his last year, and, and he can, you know, he he's not beholden to the fossil fuel industry anymore. Right, and 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 we're not t- we're not asking him to shut it off overnight, which is, you know, his his talking point is, well, if I shut it off overnight, um, you know, we'll we'll, we'll kill thousands of jobs. It's like no one's telling you to shut it off overnight, Jerry Brown. Right. We're asking you to start to implement a plan that draws it down, just like the rest of the world is doing, who's taking climate change seriously. So there's, there's, That's what we're asking. There's an interesting political dynamic here, and that is that you and I, we're talking with Mark Ruffalo, uh, actor, activist, uh, you know, all-around brilliant guy. Um, we're, t- oh. we're talking about basically challenging a, uh, you know, a, a good Democrat, a good progressive politician in a way that, you know, hopefully can be done in a way that doesn't, you know, create an internecine warfare inside the Democratic Party in California. I mean, is, is that not a consideration? Of course it is. I mean, but, you know, at any other point, <laughs> you, one would be much more, you know, gentle. Yeah. We're talking about... Well, know, the climate's more important than politics, right yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's... We can't we can't play around anymore. And and, and the dem- this is a, this is good policy for the Democrats. Right. This is this is what their constituency expects of them. And and the reason the Democrats are having such a hard time is because somewhere along the line in the, in their neoliberal uh, thinking, they have forgotten what they were meant to do, and that was to 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 it's justice. It's to take care of the little guy. It's, we don't need them fighting for corporations. We need them fighting for us. Yep. And that's really what this is about. When you see people siding on the fossil fuels based on, the, on all the evidence that we have against climate change, it's money that's making them uh, uh, dumb, that's making that is clouding their vision, they're clouding their moral vision. Mm-hmm. And and it's the writings on the wall. The Democrats have got. We all got to come this way. Just Republicans yeah. too. This is where all the new 
economy is. This is where all the new wealth making is. This is where all the, this is where the world is moving. And you're an idiot and a fool to try to hold on to the past at this point when everything is telling you to change. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, uh, in the last minute or so we've got here, uh, Mark, you you live in California. You're uh, well, actually, almost two minutes. You, you live in California. You're familiar with California Excellent. politics. I don't. I'm not. Um, to Actually, what extent is this a California now? I live in New York. Oh, OK. My apologies. Well, uh, if you're familiar with California politics and if not, just I say am. I don't. I'm very. OK, great. For, so for is this a Jerry? My life. So my question, is this a Jerry Brown issue or is this a uh, you know, the Democratic Party now essentially controls California politics. So is this a Democratic Party slash California politician problem, a, a more systemic? I mean, does it need to be attacked at the level of the assembly and the Senate, too? This is, this is happening on every single level in every single place in California. And it's a ground root, it's a grassroots movement, and we're not going away. We're only going to be stepping up this rhetoric. We're only going to be demanding more from our leaders. You just saw it happen with SB100. SB100 was going to take the state to 100% renewable energy. Right. We were like three votes shy of that, bringing it to the House. Amazing. Debate. I mean, Mark, and, and I promise you, it will pass in January. Amen. We're, we're hitting a hard break here, but I just want to let people know sure. you also uh, executive produced a short film on this, right? Yes, dear Governor Brown. Hang on just and a it, second. It's it re- the Tom Hartman program. Where, Mark Ruffalo, can people find your short film on this, dear Governor Brown? If they go to www.deargovernorbrown.org, they can find it or just do a simple Google search, Dear Governor Brown. It lays out beautifully. Thank you so much. We'll be back. Welcome back. Boy, what a day. Maine in Chicago. Hey, Maine, what's on your mind today? Hey, how you doing, Tom? Fine. Yeah, I, okay. I, I was, uh, uh, you know, uh, that economic uh, thing that you, uh, uh, you know, spelled out, uh, spoke about uh, in detail, would this not be uh, with uh, voodoo or trickle-down economics uh, being, you know, the, the motivation? I mean, if we could reverse that and say from the bottom up and, and out of the middle that, um, you know, uh, that... Uh, this uh, economic uh, happening that you that, that you were speaking about uh, wouldn't come about if, if we would get rid of uh, trickle down economics yeah. and um, uh, the electoral college. Well, I think it, you know, I think it's a step beyond that. I mean, the the trickle down economics is not the uh, is not the evil itself. It's the weapon of evil. The the evil is that that our political discourse. Our dialogue, our conversation in the United States about what works, what doesn't, what's true, what's not, you know, is trickle-down economics a phony baloney theory or is it something that's actually credible? That, that that dialogue is not happening in our corporate media, in our mainstream media, and or, or it is to some very small extent. And, and uh, you know, pretty much on MSNBC and maybe occasionally on CNN. And, and it's just, and, and that's, you know, what, what we're really looking at. The big issue, I think, is oligarchy. It's, it's that our, you know, it, it's that you've got three people who have more wealth than the bottom 50% of Americans that, that, that uh, you know, in the top, uh, of the top 10,000 or 20,000 people, the, the very, very extremely mind-bogglingly wealthy in America, 
Now they're reaching out to buy more and more media properties, more and more uh, influencing vehicles. Um, you know, it's just the, the, the entire structure of American business is increasingly being realigned and reorganized to serve the interests of the very, 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 very mind-bogglingly wealthy. And that's a problem. Uh, it's a big problem, Maine. And, 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 right. And, but, but that came about through uh, trickle-down uh, lessons more uh, econ- uh, Reaganomics. Sure. And, and with, by reversing And voter suppression. Wouldn't we reverse all this that you're speaking about? Well, yeah, but, but I, you know, I, I think that the first thing we need to do is, is show trickle-down economics for the scam it is and then point out that there's a reason why this scam has been run on us. It's profitable for the, for the billionaire class. Right. Well, and, 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 this is, and this is what is about to be shown should this tax uh, uh, bill get passed. Yeah. I'm not, like I said, I'm not very well on economics and stuff like that, but I, I follow what you're saying, how... Yeah, they're, they're, they don't mind losing because it's already set up for the uh, oh, for whoever gets in office that they'll have to follow this tax plan. Yeah, and it's no gonna, matter how much they want to do for the people. Yep, and it's going to totally screw the you know basically the next decade, um, and it's already you know set right. up to do that. I mean, the really really bad stuff, the moderately bad yeah. stuff starts kicking in in 2018 and 2020, just in time for Democrats to take power and then be and then be basically with handcuffs on. And then it gets really bad after 2026, which, you know, another election year. So, yeah, yeah, spot on. Maine, thanks for the call. Well said. John in Minneapolis. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? Yeah, um, I just wanted to point out that uh, uh, Jerry Brown had uh, told a bunch of indigenous activists at the COP uh, that um, he wanted to put them in the ground. <laughs> and uh, Well, come on, that was... That was, uh, they were shouting him down while he was trying to give a speech. You know, uh, I'm sorry, but that's a pretty tacky thing to say. It's extremely tacky, but he was making a joke about shutting them up. uh, Actually, you know, if you're going to talk over me, I'm not going to call back because it's incredibly rude. Yeah, well, John, I'm sorry I'm incredibly rude. Um, Welcome to Talk Radio. Michael in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, thanks for taking my call. Uh, You know, Trying to pick up on, on the on the Jude Lewinsky, you know, two Santa Claus theory and the Republican tax bill. I, I have a question on messaging, and I haven't heard anybody else make it. And my, my thought was, why why aren't we as, as Democrats and on the left also screaming about deficits when Republicans are are in power? I mean, can't we turn this turn this whole message on its ear and say, you know, no deficit spending without say infrastructure spending or something, so that we can try to get what we want, but actually we might get some of the Tea Party people and the fiscal conservatives to stand with us on this against... Yeah, except that you won't. You know. the, 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 the Tea Party people and the fiscal conservatives have, have uh, consolidated as basically a tribal faction. And yeah. if, if the Republican Party, uh, you know, bringing people in by saying, you know, I mean, all you have to do is watch Fox News for an hour and you absolutely get this. You've got a bunch of millionaire people on Fox News, people who are making literally millions of dollars a year, sitting around talking about NASCAR and, and eating grits and just, you know, like they're just average folks. And, and uh, you know, the Duck Dynasty perfected this, right? It, it, sure. These Ivy League educated multimillionaires who are pretending to be just folks down here in Louisiana. And, sure. and, and, and so that tribal aspect of, of uh, you know, we're Republicans, we're Democrats is not going to go away, number one. Number two, no. when Democrats start arguing against deficits or start arguing that deficit spending is a bad thing, 
they're buying into and promoting the principal frame, the main frame that Republicans use to cut spending. And so that's like shooting yourself in the foot. That's like agreeing with the other guys. And, well, and go ahead. I, I, I don't disagree with you on that, but, but, you know, Obama spent, you know, eight years paying, paying down, you know, reducing the debt, reducing the deficit. And, and can't we argue that that's our legacy and that, and that, and that them blowing it up, because we know they're going to use it as a stick against us to bash us over the head as soon as we take power again. So I'm, I'm just, I just feel like there'd be a way we could frame this, that, that, that we could, that we could, you know, if we're out in the streets doing the same thing that we're doing, but instead of saying, you know, hands too small, you can't build a wall, you say something that some of these conservatives are going to stand up and go, oh, yeah, yeah, no more deficits. Now. That's what we are always against. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think if you're if you're going to go after Republican policies using language that Republicans understand, I think that probably welfare for big corporations, welfare and tax breaks for very, very wealthy people you know, pointing those out, pointing how they work, sure. pointing out that, you know, a big chunk of this tax bill is a is a tax cut on private jets, a big, t- you know, the, the, yeah. the, the tax bill does all these wonderful things for companies, for pass-through businesses, um, and does basically, you know, raises taxes on people earning under $50,000 a year. Um, plus, you know, screws with our healthcare system. So, you know, yeah. yeah. But, it, you know, this, I mean, this, is me- yeah. this is the kind of messaging discussion that the Democratic Party needs to be having more of, no joke. frankly. Yeah, because yeah. It, it really is the message. Michael, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Um, Mina in St. Paul, Nebraska. Hey, Mina, what's up? Oh, Tom, I have sad, sad news. Um, the Nebraska Public Service Commission this morning approved three to two the Keystone Pipeline. Yes, I read it. Um, yeah. The two women voted against it, and the three men voted for it. And I think that two women are Democratic appointments, aren't they? It could be. I don't know. One thing that I got from Credo this morning, or no, uh, Greenpeace, I think it was, that Mm. they did not approve the the route. Yeah, they did the alternate route. Yeah, they they approved an alternate route. Is Um, that the one that that just just leaked 210 well, that, 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 no, that, I mean, the leak happened where the, where the pipe has already been laid. This is, you know, approving a route to go lay the pipe because they haven't finished the construction. So, so right, that's, that's the what difference. What we there. had said at one time was go ahead and put it where KXL1 is. Mm-hmm. Don't bring it down through central Nebraska where we live. Right, right. No, it's going to, it's going to. I, I, I frankly don't know off the top of my head, I Mina, mean, exactly where the alternative route is or what the significant differences are between that and the, and the original proposed route for Nebraska. But uh, the, just the fact that it got approved. Um, Greg Pallast has a great piece uh, today. Uh, I believe it's on his website. He sent it to me in email. Um, and we're going to be talking with him about this tomorrow. Um, but the, uh, he points out that Coke Industries has a refinery down in Texas that is designed to deal with um, heavy, dirty crude, which up until now they've been importing from Venezuela. And they're trying to get this pipeline from Canada down to, down to the Coke refinery uh, down near the coast so that the Cokes can refine this uh, fuel for the, the Canadian oil is about a buck a gallon less than or maybe it's a dollar a barrel less than the Venezuelan oil. And so the Cokes will make a higher profit, according to Greg Pallast. Um, I don't have independent verification of that, but he, you know, he says this is, this is the big thing behind this. Um, we'll discuss it with him tomorrow. But there's a bunch of very, very wealthy people making a lot of money, uh, basically pumping carbon into the atmosphere. And it just seems like it's a very, 
very destructive thing. Mina, thank you for the call. Randy in Ottawa, Iowa. Hey, Randy, what's up? Hi, Tom. Um, originally, uh, I, I was provoked to, to enter in the conversation today because I felt that um, the, the, there is a uh, cyclical mechanism behind the Republicans' initiatives to uh, go back into deficit spending and, and uh, how, like how George Bush had, had used the, um, the supplemental budget to keep the war debt off of the, off of the annual budget and things right. like that. And then when Obama came in, he put it on budget. And basically, I think that was one of the things that $1.4 trillion in debt that set up the Congress to lose. But it could have been Obamacare as well. So my point being that the conversation has evolved, and they've, others have brought up that, that, um, that the Democrats need to be pointing this out, that it's, it's their future, it's our future, and um, whatever they have to do short of standing up on a billboard camping up on a billboard uh, to, to make their point about yeah. what's actually going on with this. Yeah, I'm with you. I would love to see the Democrats doing more creative theater kind of stuff. But it's something we really need. Randy, well said. Thanks for the call. We'll be right back. It's uh, coming up on 15 minutes before the hour. We'll be checking in with Talk Media News to find out what's going on in the world in just a few seconds. Stick around. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Back with Talk Media News and more of your calls right after this. When was the last time you looked forward to sitting at your desk all day? Since getting my new X chair, not only am I enjoying the time spent in my desk much more than ever, but I can't believe how much more productive I'm being. My X chair is unbelievably stylish, and thanks to all the ways that you can personalize it, it literally molds itself to my body. Trust me, this is not your grandfather's office chair. And because I don't need to keep having to take breaks or to stretch my back, I'm getting more done in a day than ever before. If you spend a lot of time in your office chair every day, then you need to try the X chair. In fact, here's a terrific deal just for my listeners. The makers of X chair want you to feel the X chair difference for yourself. So if you go to xchairtom.com, that's the letter X chair, T-H-O-M.com, not only will they knock $100 off the price, but they'll even throw in a free footrest if you use the promo code Tom. Just go to xchairtom.com now. I love my X-Chair, and you will too. So check out xchairtom. That's xchairtom.com. Check out xchairtom.com, and be sure to use T-H-O-M as the promo code for your $100 discount. Welcome back. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by Goats for the Old Goat.com and Ellen Ratner's new book, Loving What You Do. On the line with us uh, from New York, Luke Vargas, Talk Media News' new UN reporter. Hey, Mar hey, Luke. Hey, Tom. Great to be with you. Thank you for joining us. So today, Donald Trump labeled North Korea a state sponsor of terrorism. What terrorism? I, you know, is, is uh, Kim Jong-un sending money to ISIS? It's a great question when you ask what terror, because the criteria that has been set forth to date from the administration fails to meet the actual legal definition of what the State Department uses to classify, to make such a determination. Uh, according to U.S. Uh, rules, you are supposed to have committed repeated uh, instances of terror or providing support for multiple acts of terrorism. The only thing that was cited by the administration today was the assassination of Kim Jong-un's brother earlier this year, Kim Jong-nam. That's not at terrorism. Airport. 
um, which looks much more like a murder. And yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah that's not terrorism. Like I mean, act of international terrorism. Yeah, that that that's that's uh, uh, what's the word fratricide? Uh, you know, the the murder of your brother. Sure. Um, that's yeah, yeah. That, I mean, so so what are the so so the Trump administration is using this terrorism terrorism label presumably to be able to bite harder uh, by way of sanctions into North Korea. Is that going to work for American companies only, or is that going to work all around the world, or is that going to blow up in Trump's face? It's a little unclear exactly what type of sanctions the administration wants permission to be able to enact that they can't already enact or have not already enacted. And looking at the, the way this designation of being the state sponsor of terror actually affects North Korea, it's unclear to me if this really moves the ball anywhere. I mean, once you're designated a state sponsor of terrorism, you can't get U.S. development assistance. Okay, we weren't doing that. You can't sell arms to the country. We weren't selling arms to North Korea. And it limits the types of North Korean exports that the U.S. can import, which we're already not doing. Um, it does, uh, you know, we're told by the president that the Treasury Department tomorrow will unveil broad, tough new sanctions on North Korea. But again, um, you know, Trump and, and his predecessors, uh, even though Trump likes to call this maximum power, you know, we've seen successive U.S. administrations try to push, um, you know, the line on sanctions. So, again, I, it does not appear clear to me, A, why they made this designation and, two, exactly what it does other than make President Trump look tough. I mean, he says this was a long overdue designation. He's, you know, kind of looking back to that 2002 speech from George W. Bush in which he labeled North Korea, part of the axis of evil, along with Iraq and Iran at, at that time. So again, um, he seems to think that, uh, you know, maybe this is a designation that makes him look tough compared to President Obama. But again, um, just the, the, the assassination of Kim Jong-nam doesn't seem to meet the criteria, nor does the death of Otto Warmbier, which is the other thing the administration was looking to, to cite in making this designation. Yeah. So this is really just chest thumping on the part of Donald Trump, it, it seems. Um, NAFTA talks, uh, the U.S., Canada, Mexico talking about the North American Free Trade Agreement. Uh, anything coming out of that? They're moving along in Mexico City, though I guess moving along, again, implies progress, which we've seen very little of. This is the fifth round of talks, and what we're hearing is that the top officials from the U.S. on, on trade, as well as the top trade officials from Mexico and Canada, didn't even bother to come to these, that there's so much distance between the parties now. And this is important um, because the goal was to try and wrap these things up. Actually, at the, the end of this year, that has already been pushed. But the, the real fear is you've got presidential elections in Mexico next summer. And the leading candidate, who is not the uh, of the same party as the current president, Peña Nieto, is very much um, disinclined to, to kind of renegotiate NAFTA. And so the, the fear is that if this pushes too late, that the Mexican government will be, you know, embroiled in these elections with a big anti-trade party coming into power and that this might all get screwed, that NAFTA could just fall apart. And we've gotten to the point now where U.S. businesses, namely the Chamber of Commerce in the United States, which is not typically that critical of Republican presidents, to say the least, is freaking out. I mean, you saw a big delegation from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce go down to Mexico this week. You saw some of the largest auto executives in the United States also go down. Seventy-five members of Congress, Democrats and Republicans, signed a letter over the weekend telling President Trump to back off some of his uh, foremost demands here. And what we're essentially seeing 
is the administration just not giving in to all that lobbying effort, um, particularly on what we call rules of origin. That is, the Trump administration is asking Mexico and Canada to increase the amount of any car that has to be made in both the United States and within the NAFTA zone altogether in order for it to be sold in the United States. And the numbers they want are dramatically higher than people predicted the U.S. would come out with. I think they want 50% of a car to be made in the United States, um, which is a number that wouldn't work for most cars. And they want something like 82.5% of a car altogether to be made within the NAFTA zone. And looking at a lot of the vehicles on American roads right now, they don't qualify. Meet, meet either of I, I, I actually that is scaring the auto industry a lot. Yeah, I actually support the Trump administration's efforts on this. Um, if if the NAFTA talks fail, it just we just keep the status quo, right? Uh, no, not necessarily. It's possible these this could just sort of end, especially depending on what the the outcome is in the Mexico. So Trump election. would have to and declare that other... he was pulling out of NAFTA, though, wouldn't he? Right, though he has has been open to that in the past. Uh, it, it is sort of still seen as a third rail, but he has not disavowed that. And, and I guess the, the final thing I'll say about this is the other thing that's worrying folks is the fact that the U.S. wants there to be five-year sunset clauses on NAFTA going forward. So that mm-hmm. And that is worrying Mexico and Canada, which say, look, I mean, we have so many elections. Uh, America is now politically unpredictable. This agreement would essentially always be up for renegotiation at any one time instead of sort right. of letting it kick into effect and, and a continuous momentum. football, so again, political football. Finally, uh, Angela Merkel, uh, she failed to, to organize a, uh, a, a government. Uh, we're going to hit a break here in, in just a while. Well, here, here it is. You got a real 10 seconds, Luke. <laughs> the possibility here is bad. Far right parties could claim that this is their opening. If, if the you know moderates can't leave, that's that's what's scaring me. So we could see a rise of the far right like we've seen in, in Turkey or in Hungary or Poland now. Exactly right. This would we'll be see a what happens in the next few days. Bad thing. Luke Vargas with Talk Media News. Thank you, Luke. Thank you. Good talking with you. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you and George in Chicago. Hey, George, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Hey, George. Excuse me. Mike, one question is the Santa Claus theory. Since the Republican tax proposal will ruin the next two Democratic elections. Why aren't the Democrats smart enough not to run if the tax proposal passes and let the Republicans eat it? Because taxes, guys taxes, being the, the sly ones and the Republicans being the dumb ones, you know, yeah. it's, it's like them, the Republicans are, are the roadrunner and the Democrats are the coyote for crying out loud. Yeah. The, in, um, in this case, George, the, you know, uh, Saying we're not going to play the game because it's it's not working to our, to Fine, our benefit. Run, run the green, run the I green party, ins- or either that or run no, somebody. So no, instead, that the, what the Democratic Party for. needs to be doing, George, is they need to be pointing out exactly what I was talking about earlier that this that this so-called tax cut is only a tax cut for billionaires and big corporations. If you look beyond the ten-year window, the individual tax cuts for individual people go away by and large. And your, and your idea is great, but if it doesn't go th- if it if it goes through, we're finished. No, we're not finished. I mean, you know, uh, subsequent well, legislations like can change it. But yeah, it's going to be it's going to be really, really tough unless the Democrats can get a filibuster-proof Senate. Uh, you know, absolutely. George, thanks for the call. Ann in Hammond, Indiana. Hey, Ann. Hi. Hey, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Very well, thank you. What's on your mind today? I 
I, I've never really paid much attention to politics until Trump got in, and I've been listening to your show, and I really appreciate it. But my question is, is if Trump seems to be rolling back like all these programs that Obama did, and with the taxes, why can't if the Democrats get in in 2018 and then again in 2020, why can't they just get rid of all these tax credits and all that kind of you know that kind of stuff? Because it would why can't they just because of the filibuster, the the oh. the filibuster uh, allows whichever party is in the minority, and right now it's the Democrats. But after the uh, 2018 election, and probably even more likely after the 2020 election, Democrats will be in control. If out of the 100 seats in, in the Senate, uh, the Constitution says that you need 50 plus one, you need a, you know, a majority vote, and that one could be provided by the vice president or you, know, you get 51 votes, and, right. and law passes. But the Senate came up with this rule back, yeah, I mean, this was back at the founding of the Republic. It was back in the 18, early 1800s um, uh, that would give the minority party the ability to block legislation if they, if they protested. And the filibuster has at various different times uh, taken 70 votes, 66 votes, 60 votes right now is what it's set at. And so if the Democrats take control of the House and Senate, but they don't have 60 votes in the Senate, then the Republicans can block any efforts to, to uh, restart spending, to, to raise taxes, to do anything. And well, why can't we do that now? Why can't the Democrats we are doing that do that now? now? Democrats are doing that right now. This is why the Republicans are twisting themselves in knots. Uh, they had to, in order to pass their tax bill, first they had to pass legislation that would allow the, the, uh, the debt ceiling to be raised by a trillion and a half dollars. So they did that because, you know, they don't care about debt, right? It's as long as there's a Republican no. in office. And then, and, then, and then they had to come up with a tax bill that fits within this $1.5 trillion window and the problem is that the tax bill that they're promoting right now is going to be between 1.7 and 1.9 trillion dollars in terms of the the additional debt to the to to the national debt and it's actually going to be more than that because they're not including the cost of interest payments and and, right. and on those uh, occasional uh, events when they do talk about interest payments they're not talking about uh, the the possibility that interest rates will go up at the same time that Janet Yellen is saying she's going to raise interest rates next month so it's, it's just a, it's a scam 16 ways to Sunday. And, uh, you know, uh, but, but the problem is that they're going to be able to pass it with 50 votes if they can keep their math straight. And uh, that's a, increasingly looking like a pretty big if right now, although, you know, we'll see where it goes. Well, because, well can I just, because you said 50 votes and then the vice president could be the breaking vote, but you said earlier it had to be like 70 or 60 votes. Why can't it still be 70 or 60? Why, why does it have to be just 50? I, you know what I'm saying? You got to get what I'm asking or no? No, try it again. No. No. Okay, well, you said earlier uh, with the filibuster, the Democrats are trying, they have to have 50 votes, right? They'd have to have 60 uh, votes. Friend, 60 votes. So they're right. going to have 60 votes of the uh, Republic, but there's not 50, or how many, there's only, what, 53 in the Congress? Yeah, there's there's 52 Republicans right now and 48. Uh, if you include the the independents, uh, you know Bernie and Angus King who right. who caucus with the Democrats. Well, they are voting for the tax too. Then these these other people. No. 60 votes. No. Uh, the 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 Republicans have 52 votes right now in the Senate. The right. question is how many votes will each party have after November 2018 in January of 2019? Right. And uh, there are 
You've got some senators who are just giving up and leaving, like Jeff Flake. Uh, right. uh, you've got yeah. other senators, who, you know, like Ron Johnson, Wisconsin, who are incredibly vulnerable. Um, uh, right. Rob Portman in Ohio, I believe. Uh, and and so the, the the question, you know, that everybody is is trying to work around is what will the you know, what will it all look like? And the point that Bruce Bartlett was making in his editorial for The Guardian today, um, and, yeah. and this was, you know, I think absolutely fascinating and a little chilling. Uh, the argument that Bruce Bartlett was making is that the, these tax cuts that the Republicans are putting in place are going to necessitate spending cuts, or you're going to have to raise the debt ceiling again as, as you know, a couple of years out, right? This stuff doesn't kick in until it begins to kick in next year and then the year after that, the year after that. And and that because of all these cuts that are going to be necessary, uh, that that Democrats, even though they have power, will not have absolute power. They won't have that. They, in all probability, you're not going to have 60 Democratic senators after, after next year's elections. Um, you know, it's possible, but it's extremely unlikely. And therefore... Pardon? If they got 60, then they, could they eliminate it if they did get 60? Mm -hmm. Like if there was 60 in there, they can cut yes. back all this. Yes, if we had 60 Democrats in the Senate and and Democrats took control of the House of Representatives, which is 23 votes or 23 seats that we'd have to flip, which again is a pretty heavy lift, right. even though the majority of Americans vote for Democrats for the House of Representatives, the majority of the House right. is Republican because of gerrymandering. So, you know, you right. get a state like Ohio that's roughly 50-50 and they end up with you know, what is it, seven, seven Republicans and three Democrats, as I recall, or maybe I'm thinking of Pennsylvania, but whatever it is, you know, that, that is baked into the cake. That's institutional. So right. the other thing that Bruce Bartlett is pointing out, or the main thing that he's pointing out, and I think it's a really big point that we all need to pay attention to, is if the Republicans um, lose what appears to be their power, and see, so this is what happened during the Obama years, particularly the first two years of the Obama administration. You know, they got a lot of good stuff done, but they only had 74 days where they had 60 votes, where they could overcome a filibuster, uh, 74 business days. And that had to do with Ted Kennedy dying and Scott Brown being sworn in and all this other kind of stuff. And as a result, a lot of really great legislation. I mean, Nancy Pelosi got legislation out of the House that would have really radically dialed back offshoring of our jobs. And guess what? It got more than 50 votes in the Senate, but it was filibustered by the Republicans. And so the Democrats took the blame for not doing something about offshoring, even though it was the Republicans' blame. And that's what Bruce Bartlett's pointing out is the, is the brutal, brutal politics of this. And thanks for the call, and thanks for listening to us in Hammond, Indiana. Much appreciated. Thank you all for being with us today. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. That includes you. So get out there, get active, tag. You're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 